So, we're doing a bonus edition of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcast and we've been able to fundraise to take the podcast forward, so we're going to do a second series that will cover the next 12 months. We're going to look at some different areas than we looked at in the last set of podcasts. If anybody's got any ideas for subjects that they want to cover in the podcast, we're open to that too. But it's about raising awareness, it's about helping people who've been diagnosed to understand more about the disease and to support families who are supporting those people through their journey. this bonus edition it's me and you we're in the in the kitchen and we're just going to have a a conversation over a cup of tea because that's the sort of conversations everybody should be having it should be a conversation over a cup of tea shouldn't it it should and it's a very nice cup of tea too thank you very much so first of all Leslie when you first approached me about doing the the original series what did you imagine it was going to be like um I imagined that it would be quite a difficult subject to cover given given the prognosis and the survival rates. I hoped from doing the podcast that actually it would help people and the feedback from the first series has been that it has helped people suffering from the disease, people supporting them, but also people involved in pancreatic cancer listening to other people's perspectives. So some of the surgeons an oncologist that spoke, some of the people from the charity, actually learned things about pancreatic cancer and all of the people involved who weren't who weren't a patient or a family learned from the stories that actually were shared. And as a little Brucey bonus, I learned so much as well. Because let's go back a little bit, let's go back a few years to explain how we first met. Because it was when I was working at a local radio station here in Stoke-on-Trent. You came in to tell us your story and Seth's story didn't you and we just stayed in touch didn't we we did yeah and um you know at that point in time it was only a few months after Seth had died it going to the local radio station for me was a big deal I remember driving there that morning feeling really nervous being in tears because I could hear the promos going on about Kids Grove Woman coming to talk about pancreatic cancer I literally wiped the tears away from my eyes walked into the into the building and then into the studio and then started to talk to you and tell you about the story from from my perspective of what happened to Seth and the fundraising and at that point in time, although I'm not built for trekking the Great Wall of China, that, that was what I was about to do. Yes, and for people that don't know much about radio, and I'm guessing that's a lot of people out there, it's very much a, it's almost like a conveyor belt. And it's one thing that I know that every single radio station wants it to not feel like. But at the same time, we're up against, you've got to hit the travel on time, you've got to hit the news on time. So it's it's difficult sometimes for us to be able to really get in depth into, into a story. But I really did feel when you came in, we had, um, it was a really fascinating story and I knew nothing about pancreatic cancer before I met you that day and I'll be honest my levels of knowledge about pancreatic cancer went up a little bit but then this is going to sound really harsh you move on to the next subject so I didn't spend too much longer finding out anything more about it yes I followed you on twitter and I sort of saw the saw the tweets and all of that um and then uh, not long after about a year later you asked me to help um host the ball the purple rainbow ball yeah and that was fun. 
Uh, I got to wear a nice dress, put makeup on, hair and everything. Very rare for me to make an effort. So uh, I, I enjoyed that. And then we got together and the podcasts came along. And actually, thank you. Not just because, you know, it's given me some work to do. Thank you because I actually really enjoyed finding out more about pancreatic cancer which I know might sound a little odd to people because you think gosh this is a story that isn't particularly you know doesn't always end very well in fact in the vast majority of cases it doesn't always have a happy ending but every single person I spoke to there was hope somewhere along the line there was some kind of feeling of hope there was it wasn't a this is a bleak picture and we're never going to um, you know that that's it we're just writing it off writing everybody off that's it it was not anything like that and I don't know what I was expecting to start but I don't think I was expecting that if that makes sense yeah and I think it's really easy with the disease because of the survival rates and the stories that are told to actually think that that it is a desperately awful disease that always results in death and yes, people do die, but there is lots of hope along the way. And bringing in, you know, the perspectives from the researchers. I think we talked to Claire up at Keel. We talked to Rilly. We talked to Barry up in Scotland too around the research that they were doing. Um, clinical trials and all the work that goes on around research does bring people hope. And often people with pancreatic cancer who know they can't be cured will sign up to those clinical trials and be part of that, that world to try and improve things for others. So we're hoping that through the process this year, we can do a focus on clinical trials, what that actually means from a patient's perspective and what that brings to the the kind of research party. And also thinking about the funding for research. Um, Pancreatic cancer gets really low levels of research funding, um, much lower than any other other cancer site. So less than 1% of the national cancer research funding goes to pancreatic cancer. But actually, the disease is the 11th most common, the fifth biggest cancer killer. And, you know, we've talked about statistics before that are quite stark. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Um, And going back then to your original story, the Great Wall of China, you did that trek. How did that feel? (laughs) The Great Wall of China was an aspiration um, because Seth and I, six weeks before he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, had booked the trip of a lifetime it was going to be, the irony of that, actually. Um, Because it was both our 50th birthdays that year and it was our 10th wedding anniversary, we booked this trip, we were going to go to the Great Wall, see the pandas at Chengdu, go and see the Terracotta Army, sail down the Yellow River, end up in Singapore and Hong Kong, and then come home. But obviously Seth died and that wasn't possible. So in in the grief, uh, the fog of grief, shall we just say, I decided that actually... 12 months on I was going to do the Great Wall of China trek I'm short I'm round and at, the, at that point in time I was 50 I'd never done anything that physically challenging I decided to do it to raise money um, so off I went to China with a group of people who I didn't know never met before all of whom were doing the trek for Pancreatic Cancer UK and I think in last year's podcast we talked to Tracy Tracy was one of the people who who were on the trek every single one of those people on that trek had got a story about pancreatic cancer um and yes we we did a five-day trek um over the great wall i didn't do every single step of the journey because i hurt my knee and i wasn't really built for that but i made friends with this fantastic um 
guide who was the back marker called Charlie, who literally pushed my bottom up some of those steps, <laughs> who, who I got to know so well and I still keep in touch with. Um, and that whole kind of family of trekkers um, have kept in touch. So when we've done fundraising, the Purple Rainbow Balls, a number of them have come to that. This year we're planning a get-together, which is kind of four years on from the trek, um, to to actually kind of meet up together again and lots of us keep in touch. And I think over that, that period of time, those um, 20-odd trekkers raised something like £86,000 wow, for Pancreatic Cancer UK. That is a huge amount, really. Um, gosh, four years. Blimey. That, that makes me feel like I'm getting a bit older, which clearly we are. Um, so I think, again, going back to my experience of going through the podcast, as someone who was a listener and a taking someone who took part in them with very little background of pancreatic cancer in, in my life, um, I did get angry at a lot of times. As you mentioned, the lack of funding the lack of attention onto the disease when actually it's a disease that affects so many people, but it's not, I hate to say it's not getting the publicity because publicity sounds like it's a, it's a good thing sort of thing as such, but it's not getting the attention it deserves. And I was getting, I found myself getting really, really angry when I was talking to people, talking to researchers, talking to the doctors. And then I thought, well, hang on a minute, we can either get angry and shout or we can get angry and do something about it. And I think that's what the podcasts really have been good for as well is just spreading the message. And the message has got out there quite a way. And what I really loved was the fact that people got in touch with us on the about the podcast and we got them on the podcast as well. <laughs> so there were people that, you know, hadn't had no connection to us. We had a friend of a friend come on whose father had been diagnosed and she was trying to raise money and she got put in touch with me via somebody else who knew her, knew me. Turns out there's a bit of a Cambridge massive of the people that I know in Cambridge who all know each other now, it seems. Um, but she got in touch and we had a great chat. And again, she did one thing where she could only eat and drink purple items for the whole of um, over the one day in November. Um, she did also point out that purple was red wine, so we went with that, and I was—I think that was that was acceptable. But that's what I love about podcasts in particular, and especially a podcast that has conversations that aren't always easy to listen to, but should be listened to. Is that people feel they can get involved, and that's what we want for the second series as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that thing about anger—you know, six months after Seth died, I was the angriest person on this earth because. This disease had swept into our lives. 33 days later, Seth was gone. We had no chance whatsoever, no chance of really planning anything, no chance of survival. We had no chance of treatment because the disease made Seth deteriorate so quickly. And I think anger drives lots and lots of people to do things, but it's doing it in that constructive way. And I think there's something about um, people wanting to get involved often the people who raise money are people who are invested in the disease have experienced it personally have lost someone to pancreatic cancer Um, but part of the issue about trying to get the word out there about awareness is that actually pancreatic cancer does have signs and symptoms they are 
obvious if you know what they are. But if you don't know what they are, they're so vague that they're not that obvious. So part of the reason for doing the podcast, and I think one of the things that the podcast helps to do, is kind of raise awareness of the signs and symptoms in a disease where you can't physically go and check something. So breast cancer, there's all the you know, there's all the work about checking each month and testicular cancer and other cancers. There's kind of physical interventions that you can go and do yeah. to check. You but can have pancreas, the smears, you can have yeah. the checks and all of this. But yeah, with pancreatic cancer, it's not quite so easy, is it? No, and I think there's something, you know, it'd be interesting in the next set of podcasts to talk to a GP because GPs um, don't often get pancreatic cancer patients diagnosed because... They don't diagnose them because often the signs and symptoms are so vague that the person hasn't gone to the GP. So I think in a GP's career, it's kind of, they would diagnose three or four in a 20-year career. Um, So they are not always not that aware of the symptoms because they don't get to see pancreatic cancer patients quite so often. I think that's another one of the things that made me angry as well, the the total unfairness of the disease. It's... The fact is that, you you know, nine times, I don't want to say nine times out of ten because it's a statistic I've just made up, but the majority of cases that you don't have very long afterwards. You don't, you can't put any, like you said, you can't put any plans in place. And it's almost like you've, you've gone from being, going about your everyday life to the next day, you've got a death sentence and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's exactly what happened to Seth. He was unwell been to the GPs a few times back and forth um, antibiotic steroids made an appointment for the emergency GP after work went at 4.30 4.30 on Monday he was told to go to A&E 4.30 on Tuesday he was dying and he was told he'd got days maybe weeks to live that isn't the case for everybody everybody's journey is different but there is something about the shock of that diagnosis um, and we need to be able to support people through that process, um, but also just to get people more aware of the signs and symptoms. So, you know, if I roll the clock back to 2013, there was a complete change in Seth's demeanour. He was normally a happy-go-lucky, jolly fella who was always playing pranks, telling jokes, doing tricks, and then all of a sudden he'd become quite obsessive, quite depressed. He'd been told that he was going to be made redundant from work, so I thought that was the reason. And that makes sense. Yeah, and actually he'd come in from work and by nine o'clock he'd say, I need to go to bed, I'm so tired. Well, actually, dependent where you've got the cancer in the pancreas, Seth had it in the tail of the pancreas. If it's in the tail, then it affects the amount of insulin that you can produce. So this change in demeanour for some pancreatic cancer patients, is a symptom of the disease. The lethargy was a symptom of the fact he wasn't creating enough insulin to be able to keep going. Um, So, you know, there's lots of research more recently around kind of new onset diabetes where people are not gaining weight, that actually that can be a sign of pancreatic cancer. Not always, so I don't want to frighten people. But, you know, that, that is one of the things that started to come through, the link between insulin, glucose, blood blood sugar levels and pancreatic cancer. So I, I just thought Seth was depressed. But actually, if I knew back in 2013 what I know now, I would have, some red flags would have started to, to yeah. wave. He had backache, he would complain of backache intermittently. But we kind of put it down to the fact that he mowed the lawn and he thought he pulled a muscle. 
So who doesn't have backache every now and again as well? You know, it, it, it's not necessarily on its own. You wouldn't think anything of it. You know, oh, I've slept funny or oh, I was lifting, like you say, like mowing the lawn or I've done some... You, so many things that you can just sort of put to something else. But yeah. I guess when you put them all together... That's, That's when you you need to start thinking. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what we will do for anyone listening. We'll put some details in the show notes to this episode of the, of the symptoms and places that you can go to to find out a little bit more. So very exciting time because um, I'm really pleased to say we're coming back for a second series because the first series was really fascinating for me and I think it was just a really good way of raising awareness. But we're going to sort of delve a little deeper into a few uh, few more conversations which need to be need to be had uh, aren't we Leslie yeah we're going to look at some of the other treatments some of the treatments around uh, nano knife and cyber knife we're going to talk to Phil Whelan up in Liverpool about around his buddy scheme where people who've experienced pancreatic cancer help people who are about to go in for the operation we're going to talk to the living beyond pancreatic cancer support group that meets every six months and has a weekend away, which is all the people who've lived beyond pancreatic cancer, who kind of bring with them their own kind of perspective around what it feels like to be a survivor. We're going to talk to some people around um, living without a pancreas, because some of the people involved in surgery actually have the pancreas removed, what that means, living with diabetes, and some of the challenges around that. We're going to be talking to some more researchers We're going to be talking to the community coordinators for Pancreatic Cancer UK and the work that they do in the community to raise awareness and also um, to the side-by-side buddy system, which is um, a telephone support service offer from Pancreatic Cancer UK where patients can actually talk to someone who's had the operation and know know what to expect and some of the challenges around... um, what that operation means and and the kind of things that they might need to take into hospital or expect. So kind of, you know, just sharing experiences. There'll be lots of patient and carer stories in there too. So if anyone is listening and wants to have a suggestion, wants to get in touch, just... we're happy to we're happy to chat aren't we let's be honest we are happy to chat and there's the um coming up in march there's the pancreatic cancer uk summit which is going to explore some of those themes as well so we may well do a, a kind of episode that covers some of the some of the areas covered in that summit um psychological support is one that is particularly dear to my heart and we're just about to embark on a, a little bit of a creative process Um, to develop some artwork and photography around how it feels to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer from a patient and a carer perspective so that we can use some of those um, creative projects to have the conversation about what psychological support is needed for patients and families. So yeah, lots and lots of different different ways to, to kind of talk about the disease, get to know it a little bit more. And always with the with the idea of spreading awareness, raising awareness of signs and symptoms and keeping that balance between the reality of the disease and the hope for people in the future. And there's always going to be hope. I don't think we can ever forget hope. No. And, you know, part of everything that I do is done in Seth's name. It's part of Seth's legacy because Seth really didn't didn't have a chance. And I want other people in the future to have the chances that Seth didn't have. So all done with that in mind and all done um, to kind of honour Seth's memory. What do you think he would make of all this? 
he would be happy that I was doing it. He would be proud of the work that I've done, I'm sure. He wouldn't, um, he was very private, so he wouldn't really, he wouldn't really like the kind of, um, the kind of publicity around it, if that makes sense. And I'm always very careful and anything that, that I kind of share or do, there's only ever two photographs of, share, of Seth that I share because I know he would be okay with me sharing those photographs and that the others are really, really personal. So that, that's a kind of a thing for me that I have to keep in balance. Does that protect you a little bit as well? Yeah, because it, it makes, in a way, the kind of Seth's and my story, it, it becomes a little bit of public property. So often, you know, people through Purple Rainbow or through Twitter will contact me with their story of pancreatic cancer or sometimes end-of-life care, because I'm involved in that too. Um, and it it kind of protects me in terms of my memory of Seth is very, very personal, and all those photographs are on mine to remember, and just the two that I share are the ones that I want people to, to publicly see Seth. But, you know, Seth was a kind, um, funny immensely humorous immensely um, giving person and I would say that and obviously everybody would because they would be biased but it was the truth and he wanted me to share the story he didn't ask me to go out and do the things that I've done he didn't say do some podcasts but he wanted me to he wanted me to share the story so other people might in some way benefit from our experience and um, and that's why I do what I do in Seth's name. (laughs) 